0: There's a story I like to tell about um, the very first retreat I ever did, which was several years ago now. It was actually just a weekend. That's all I dared do at the time. And I had a very, very difficult time. And just by, it started on a Friday night, and by, well, probably Sunday morning, I really wondered why anybody (laughs) did this sort of thing. And what occurred to me as a way to maybe take a break or get away from it all was to just go into the bathroom because there was a way that when I was in elementary school that any time that I wanted to get away from what was happening, I would just go to the bathroom and you could just take a break. You could just hang out there and and get get uh, some relief. So I was on the retreat, so I decided, okay, I'll just go go into the bathroom, and then I, you know, I can take a break from this whole thing. As a very strange, I think it was probably my first insight that arose that going into the bathroom wasn't a break; that I was still left with myself, and I didn't get away from anything at all. And I'm sitting there, just standing—well, actually, standing there in the bathroom, thinking. Just didn't work. <laughs> and then having to go back out and having to face what was really going on. And that's such a strong memory for me because I think that we do want to take breaks. We do want to find a way to get away from what's going on sometimes. But I think whether we're on an awareness retreat, an insight practice retreat, or a meta retreat, it's a confrontation. Being here is a confrontation with ourself. And I think some, for some people we may have thought that if we came to a metta retreat, a loving-kindness retreat, that there might be some way we could bypass some of the difficult aspects. We may be able to enter right into that loving space or that very light space. But it isn't actually the case as we've heard from a number of people today, there was one woman who came to see me and said, I just feel so separate. Just being here makes me feel so separate. And she uh, told a, a story of the image that was coming up for her being here. And it reminded her of a scene from a James Bond movie where uh, maybe you'll remember this—that uh, one of the, the there's an astronaut who is connected to a spaceship on a on a cord, on the umbilical cord—and at some point in the scene, the cord gets cut, and the astronaut just goes floating off into space, just being separated from everything. And she said, "That's how it felt <laughs> being here. It was just like having that cord cut and just floating off." Being separated from everybody—it is just a very, very painful feeling for her. But there are a number of different kinds of difficult feelings that arise for people when we are faced with our potential, the potential for what we can be, the potential for what we can become. We think that maybe coming to a meta retreat also is going to be like a magic wand. You know, it's just going to, the way we can just wave that wand and everything disappears. But that's not how it is. Metta is unconditional friendliness towards all things without exception. It's really the ability to embrace all parts of ourselves. And when we see metta in this way, perhaps we can get a sense that not too much has to change. The teachings that are being presented here are not about being a certain kind of person, some other way than we already are. But perhaps you're starting to get a sense that the teachings are more about being truthful with ourselves, maybe directly facing those ways we feel limited in ourselves, that I do get hostile, I do feel fearful and agitated, I do feel angry at times, I am closed off at times, and I also feel loving at times and I feel accepting and patient. We start to face the whole spectrum of who we are and how we're manifesting at any given time. Not denying or ignoring or pretending we are other than the way we are. Not being afraid of what we see in ourselves, because it is only this fear which blocks the possibilities of an open heart. It is only really our unwillingness not to look out of fear that blocks that possibility. A few years ago, I was on a three-month course at Insight Meditation Society. And for the first six weeks of that, I entered into um, the metta practice. I also did a few of the other brahma-viharas as well towards the end of that. But I learned so many things during that intensive practice time. As I was repeating the phrases, just as we're doing here, repeating the phrases and wishing for my own and others' happiness, safety, and joy, what I became aware of was the absence of those feelings. That's what kept showing itself to me, that so much of the time those feelings were not present. And I found that the metta practice acted as a kind of mirror It was just like a clear, immaculate mirror. Because as I held the vision of what was possible, what got reflected back to me was my immediate reality, my present reality, right where I was. Sometimes I could open and feel that ease as I was doing the practice, but other times there was fear and resistance and agitation. (coughs) And I would repeat the phrases, and there would be agitation and more agitation at times. And when I'd see that, I'd think, oh, haven't I finished that yet? You know, I've been doing this practice for so long, doing these different kinds of practices. Is that still coming up? It would come up very strongly. And when I would see it, I would feel disgust. And in that disgust, I would start to tighten and feel rigid in my body in the street as a reaction and seeing those parts that were just unacceptable to see. I didn't want to see them. I wanted to be finished with it. But since I was doing the metta practice, doing the loving-kindness practice, the question arose for me, well, if this is what's coming up, how do I hold the truth about myself? How am I going to hold this truth about myself? Do I hold it with shame and judgment? Or do I hold myself with an open heart and an open mind? If I really care about my own happiness, then I was being called to respond to myself right in that moment. It wasn't a postponement. It wasn't that uh, I was off track or I've lost my way. But what was the possibility of being loving right in that moment, right in the midst of what I was feeling? What is my capacity to be loving right in the middle of it? Can I love even the difficult aspects of myself? When we have these times of negativity or difficulty, we might use these times to judge our practice. We might use it as a time to think that we're doing it wrong, You may think that we've misunderstood something, we're not doing the practice right, we're off track, or we stepped outside or off the path in in some way. But we don't actually see, if we think that way, we don't actually see that this is the metta. This is the metta practice working. This is what happens. The metta reflects back to us the reality of our moment-to-moment experience so we can see where we're still holding, where we're still contracted, where our heart is still closed. And it's only when we really see where our heart is closed that we can take the steps to open, because otherwise we may be deceiving ourselves or living in some delusion about what's true. So this is reflected back to us. And the metta in those moments asks us to embrace even those aspects with care and love, to embrace those aspects. And as we do that, we are reinforcing that attitude of loving, that attitude of care and respect towards ourselves. The metta practice can reveal what we don't want to see, and it can be really painful to see it can be really painful to see. Yet it is only through the ability to open our hearts to ourselves that allows for us to keep opening to the difficult. Because when we judge and condemn our experience, our experience becomes more contracted and more complex and more difficult. And it can feel quite solid and almost like we're up against a a brick wall. You know, like we're really really uh, uh, up against something that is impossible to go through. But when we start to open our hearts to ourselves, that softens. That wall starts to get thin, more illusory. And then there is the possibility for transformation. The possibility of transforming that which, which feels dark into light, into lightness and light. When we do the practice of metta, we will be faced at times with this seeming gap, the gap between our potential wish for ourselves and for others, and the present reality, what our moment-to-moment experience is revealing to us. Sometimes we will, we will feel deeply into that wish. We will feel, feel deeply into the words as we say them, and we will feel connected and open when we have that wish for our own happiness and for others' happiness. And it's a wonderful moment when those, when we don't have that gap, when we really feel the potential of that uh, wish in the moment. But other times we'll be saying the phrases, saying those words that are so beautiful, and what we'll feel is the dissonance feel the gap, the so-called gap. We may feel the fear, hostility, we may feel the agitation, the anger, whether it's turned at ourselves or turned outward. We may feel our deep sense of limitation. And the only thing which can bridge this gap is holding both the wish and the present reality with love. Holding them both in that place of love. And this forms the bridge which brings the unity and wholeness to our experience and reinforces that capacity to be loving. Because right in that moment, as we're able to perhaps take an out-breath and just say, oh, it's okay, it's okay in this moment, then we feel that sense of wholeness in ourselves without anything needing to be different nothing needing to change in that moment metta is the capacity to hold it all with love and its powerful metta is powerful because it's unconditional it's an unconditional friendliness an unconditional movement towards all things Unconditional means without (laughs) conditions. all things. That ability, whatever it is that arises within our own experience or what we perceive in another person's experience, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, that potential to embrace whatever it is that we see. This, to me, is the great challenge of the practice Can I bring a loving attitude to all that I see in myself? To be allowing, to be receptive, not cut off, not closed down from the truth, the truth of what I see in myself. Can I really live without this fear, the fear of looking truthfully at myself? Can I live in love? There's this quote from the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu: "If you realize you have enough, you are truly rich. Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you." My friend gave this to me. I just want to re- just read it with a little different line. If you realize you are enough, you are truly rich. Be content with what you are, with who you are. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. But this is a practice This is a practice that we're doing. This is not where we're supposed to be right now. We often have this sense that if we do the loving kindness, then I'm supposed to feel it, and I should feel it right now. And then we can feel that impatience and that agitation and anger towards ourselves. We forget that we're entering into a process. We're on a journey a journey of a beautiful unfolding, a beautiful flowering. And all the things that arise for us become our, p- our potential for what we use for that transformation, for that awakening. This morning Sharon introduced us to take time at the beginning of the Metta practice to reflect on our good qualities. and. One woman said to me today that when she did that, each time she did that, what she got after was a, yes, but, and then she kept doing it and it was, well, yes, but, and then she would keep doing it and it was, yes, but, (laughs) and she wasn't able to get over that, but, it was (laughs) quite a, it started to be quite a wall that was being built up for her. And she got very overwhelmed. She was just, like, overwhelmed by that discouragement, really. And it was almost as if she was trying to convince herself of those good qualities, rather than being able to feel into that. So she had to stop. Just stop and take a break. And I said to her, that's the perfect thing to do, because sometimes we just have to stop that we move forward, we're trying to do the practice, do the practice, and we just can't get over a certain hump, a certain bump, and we have to stop and take a break. And so we stop at times and just drop back into that quiet space and just let everything go and just feel the beauty of the stillness and the silence. And then we come back when we have more balance, when we we regain our strength again, and then we try again. And each time, we try again. And perhaps it'll what we experience will have a little different flavor, a little different feeling to it, as we go along this process that we're involved in. While I was on that um, three-month retreat and doing my metta practice, when I would go through those very difficult times in myself, The question kept arising for me, well, how do I hold myself with love? If the point is to be loving, embrace all aspects of myself, however I am in that moment, what does that really mean? What does it mean in a practical way? Because so often we just say, Yeah, you know, just you know, be loving to yourself, right. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to do, but how do how do we do that? And as I reflected on this question, I saw there were four ways, at least four, I'm sure there's a lot more, but there were four ways in which I could help myself. I could help myself to be more loving. The first quality that I came up with was to have patience, to have patience with what I see in myself. Because when I'm patient, I'm trusting a process that is totally beyond my control. There's a process which is unfolding and revealing itself that most of the time feels quite beyond my control. And when I can allow myself to touch this, to feel this, it helps me to be more patient. And being more patient means to be gentle to be kind, to be tender towards what we see. It may not be what we like. It may be completely irrational and the mind can't understand it at all. But I can still be patient. So when I feel aversion and fear and agitation, rather than condemn and judge those feelings, maybe saying, "Okay, that's just what's happening right now. That's just what's happening right now. Can I be gentle? Can I trust in this unfolding journey that I'm on? Being patient. The second way that I saw that I could help myself was to be realistic. This is a good one. To be realistic. I think it's very good for the metapractice because I can have these great hopes and wishes for myself and for others and for the world. But is it realistic to expect myself to be that way right now? Is it really realistic? And these standards and criteria that we hold up for ourselves we can use as clubs, we can use as sticks to beat ourselves up with. Why can't I be more loving right now? Why can't my heart be more open right now? <laughs> Why do I act so foolish? Hmm? But being realistic means that we start where we are. We really tune into where we are right now to see what is possible from our own conditioning, from our past experiences that have brought us to where we are in this moment. And being realistic means that I can be with the truth of who I am in this moment. So being realistic, being patient. The third way that I reflected on that I could help myself was to be disciplined. To be disciplined. Because when I'm aware of the destructive habits and I don't take any action to bring about healthy changes, I fall into passivity and indifference. And I could start to think, oh, why even bother doing this? These patterns are so strong. I'm never going to change anyhow. I'm really stuck in this. There's nothing I can do. And if I allow those thoughts to take shape and take form in the mind, I can really get stuck. I can get really pulled down by that. But a loving attitude ignores those thoughts, and a wise attitude knows that we can take steps to help ourselves out of the difficult patterns. That that is what these trainings are about. That's what this path is about, is taking steps to change to bring about our transformation. And the metta-practice is one of those steps. It is one of those gifts, one of those offerings to us that we have to pick up and take hold of and initiate. And without our participation in that, nothing happens. So it does take a kind of discipline. But we do so, we take these steps not, not out of fear, or aversion, or hatred towards ourselves. I have to be different. I can't live with myself anymore. I'm such a stupid fool. I have to do something to change myself. That wouldn't be probably the best motivation for a practice. But we do it out of love. We do it out of care. We do it out of respect for ourselves and for all the people who will be touched by, by our transformation. our potential wish that we hold for ourselves doesn't become something we compare ourselves to and then judge ourselves with but it gives us something to aim at it gives us a direction to move towards but without denying the truth of where we are saying this is where I am and that's where I'm going and I have the potential within me as each of us have the potential within us to become free and liberated human beings. Our habitual tendencies have developed into powerful forces over the years of our conditioning. They're very, very strong in our minds. And overcoming these tendencies takes some firmness. It takes some discipline. Otherwise, we just fall into passivity. But this is a firmness without aversion, without judgment, but hopefully with a kind attention, a kindness towards what we see. So being disciplined. And the fourth way that I reflected on to hold myself with love is to stay in touch with my vulnerability to allow my vulnerability. Often when we start to feel this fragility, when we start to feel this fragility in ourselves, we hide this from ourselves. We hide it from others. It's something that we don't feel comfortable and often isn't okay. In our culture, vulnerability is often seen as a weakness. And when we label ourselves as weak, we feel inferior, we feel small, we feel less than. And this complex, the complex of feelings that arise when we're feeling vulnerable can give rise to thinking that we have to get it together, we have to pull ourselves together, we have to get strong, we have to face the world. And there can also often be a forgetfulness that it's okay just to feel that fragility to feel that vulnerability, that we don't have to get it together and be in control. And when we allow ourselves to feel the vulnerability and explore what it's like as we enter those, that territory that we may not have touched before, we may find that sometimes when we're feeling vulnerable that it can actually feel quite tender and beautiful. It can actually start to feel quite sweet at times. We may be touched by some memory or some event or something that happens between you, myself and another person. And a feeling comes, and we let ourselves feel that, and we find it's okay, it's all right. I had an experience of this quite a long time ago when I was um, watching a movie in a movie theater. And the movie was about a um, submarine that the men on the submarine were getting. The ship was being torpedoed and men were dying. And what happened was that my father died in a submarine and a ship before I was born, and when that, I didn't know that was going to come on, on the screen, and when that came on the screen, it, it really, really touched me, and I just started to sob, I started to cry, and in that, I was with my husband, and I just put my head on his shoulder, and I just let myself cry. And I let myself sob and go deeply into the feelings that were touched at that moment. And I didn't let the fact that I was sitting there in the movie theater with all these people get in the way. I just let myself feel that vulnerability because I hadn't really let myself touch that grief, touch that memory, touch that reality. And I just let myself go into the sobbing. And I went into a place that was very, very sweet and very beautiful in myself. And I won't forget it because it was not only a beautiful thing to allow myself to feel the grief, but also to realize how important the vulnerability is and how much the fragility, how important the fragility is in the healing, in the purification that this path is taking us on. And that event was quite spontaneous. It was quite a surprise. It was totally unexpected. And yet it was such a gift, it was such an offering to me to be able to touch something so important, something so authentic. And as we become comfortable with these, these fragile and vulnerable places in ourselves, then we can start to reveal these to others, to other people. We can start to reveal these feelings to others because sometimes we have to get comfortable with that in ourselves first, and then it can start to feel safer to start to show that to others. But we know that when someone else shares their vulnerability with us, it touches us. There's something quite beautiful in it, and it gives us permission to do the same thing. We give ourselves and each other this loving gift this loving gift of authenticity. As I'm able to hold myself with more love, I'm able to respond to others in the same way, and others are touched by this gift, touched by this transformation. It's just like if we throw a stone out to the middle of a pond and the ripples go out. They go out in a perfect, perfect concentric circle. just go out and they touch the shore. In the same way, our loving kindness goes out in all directions and touches all beings, all people around us. It's not only a gift for ourselves, but it's a gift for all that we come into contact with. Everyone benefits. I wanted to read something that uh, has become somewhat of a tradition on some of my retreats. So um, some of you will be familiar with the Toad and Frog story, Um, (laughs) but it's one of those stories that it seems we can hear over and over again. It's so delightful. It's a children's story. And I think that it just personifies the qualities that I've been speaking about tonight and that we're all attempting to cultivate in ourselves, uh, not only this week, but on our our journey. And Sharon's been talking about planting seeds a number of times. She's mentioned how what we're doing here is just planting seeds for something to take root, to flower at some point. We don't know when it's going to happen. And this story really speaks to that, to the qualities and that I've been speaking of and to the planting seeds, the way that we've been planting seeds here. It's called The Garden. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog. It is very nice, but it was very hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. ''Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground,'' said Frog, ''and soon you will have a garden.'' ''How soon?'' asked Toad. ''Quite soon,'' said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. ''Now seeds,'' said Toad, ''start growing.'' Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, ''Now seeds, start growing!'' Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds, start growing. Frog came running up the path. What's all this noise, he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You're shouting too much, said Frog. These poor seeds are afraid to grow. My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. "'Of course,' said Frog. "'Leave them alone for a few days. "'Let the sun shine on them. "'Let the rain fall on them. "'Soon your seeds will start to grow.' "'That night, Toad looked out his window. "'Grat,' said Toad. "'My seeds have not started to grow. "'They must be afraid of the dark.' "'Toad went out to his garden with some candles. "'I will read the seeds a story,' said Toad. "'Then they will not be afraid.' Toad read a long story to his seeds. All the next day, Toad sang songs to his seeds. All the next day, Toad read poems to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad played music for his seeds. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not start to grow. What shall I do? cried Toad. These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. Then Toad felt very tired, and he fell asleep. "'Toad, Toad, wake up!' said Frog. "'Look at your garden!' Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. "'At last!' shouted Toad. "'My seeds have stopped being afraid to grow!' "'And now you will have a nice garden, too,' said Frog. "'Yes,' said Toad, "'but you were right, Frog. "'It was very hard work!' So I think it's true that we do make things a little bit more hard work than they need to be. But it doesn't seem to be too much way around that. We seem to have to go through it for some reason until we understand what we're doing, until we realize that maybe we don't have to make it so difficult, that maybe we can relax, Maybe we can soften, maybe we can be a little bit more kind, a little bit more tender, more patient to what's occurring, to the process that's happening. And slowly we wake up, slowly we realize, slowly we realize what's necessary, what we need to do, and we stop fighting so much, we stop struggling so much, and we start to Put that struggle down and feel a little bit more lighter, a little more at ease. And then our wish starts to appear. We start to feel a bit more happy, a bit more at peace, a bit more joy, a bit more at ease. And then slowly we keep proceeding. And then the fruits ripen as we go along. So I wish you good luck on your journey and not to uh, make too much noise (laughs) as you're going along. Let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.